And if the writer is writing about it, he knows what the team is. He's just being a tool, not telling people. Um, I swear I haven't eaten Taco Bell in like three years. You know, these are people's lives, right? They need, they want to organize their lives. They've got, if they, if they have children, you know, they've got to think about what are we doing with their children? What are my family arrangements? And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode 86, the podcast where we haven't signed any free agents either. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, <laughs> and I am joined tonight by the man of the hour, Nick Dyka. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Greg, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, unlike my usual partner, Josh, who is very much under the weather and unable to participate in the podcast this week, and I think he is brokenhearted. It's got flu-like symptoms for real. Yeah, not like the the uh, <laughs> that the had a bad night flu. Like, no, he's uh, he's he's not feeling well. So, Josh, get better soon. Uh, I would love to have you back on and and uh, get your take on some of the stuff we're about to discuss, which is the Grichuk trade, the rumors about Chris Tillman, um, Devin Travis. Will he be in spring training? Will he be healthy? Uh, and then we had a trade that the Blue Jays almost made, but instead was made by the Brewers. Uh, we have your questions, naturally. We have a do-over. Uh, and I, I think, I mean, if we have a final thought, we have a final thought. But that's how it goes. Because we also have two interviews in there. I have uh, Josh Kuznick, who is a player agent. And, of course, uh, Shai Davidi from Sportsnet is coming up later as well. But we shall get down to the news of the week. Uh, Randall Grichuk. Uh, that's just a weird name. But uh, from the St. Louis Cardinals, Blue Jays have acquired another outfielder uh who is a lot like a lot of our other outfielders it seems yeah i think you i think you're right on that i'd equate the blue jays outfield to kind of like um mexican food in that it's all kind (laughs) of the same stuff just slightly reorganized you know like whether whether you're having a taco or or a burrito or an enchilada there's always going to be rice and beans and cheese um, unfortunately, in the Jays outfield, the things that are always going to be there are like a walk rate, you know, under 5% and a strikeout rate north of 30. Um, so I think that, yeah, Randall Grichuk is is a lot like the other Blue Jays and outfielders. And he'll get, he'll get you there a different way. You know, he's got far more power than a guy like Kevin Pillar or Ezekiel Carrera. Um, he's not he's not unlike Teoscar Hernandez, I I'd say, um, in that respect. And so I can understand why some people are left a little bit confused as to why the Jays went out and, and got him. But, um, you know, there's still some off season to go. So maybe there's another move to come that we, we don't know about. Um, but yeah, it is on the surface, a little bit confusing. So first of all, I am forwarding all of the angry emails and tweets, uh, from our Mexican listeners to you Uh. oh hey i will say this if uh i would love to to expand my mexican culinary palate i i you know i just know the kind of like north american pseudo mexican staples you you've described Um, taco bell food to a t though absolutely same four ingredients layered differently um (laughs) i swear i haven't eaten taco bell in like three years oh my goodness uh 
So I read an interesting article on Grichuk getting back to baseball um, that <laughs> said that he had what was a premium skill set, which with the sudden year and a half of home run surge has become less of a premium skill set. This was on Fangraphs. I'm pretty sure it was Jeff Sullivan. Um, in that sense, he is a depreciating asset, not because he's gotten any worse at hitting home runs, but because all the right. people who were kind of good at it are now much better. People who were already really good at it didn't actually get much better uh, because it's that you know that sort of sweet spot where um, yeah. you know more of those it might be a home run balls leave the ballpark. So I am kind of curious to know though if that changes with the environment uh, in the American League East and specifically at his home mm-hmm. park. If maybe the Blue Jays see another, I mean the Blue Jays love to take a power hitter and turn him into a monster power hitter. <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting because he has a lot of the same kind of like uh, hard hard hit skills that someone like Kendrys Morales has. Like they're both kind of on the top of the Statcast leaderboards in terms of like barrels and exit velocity and things like that. Um, so the Jays, at least from the outside, seem to prioritize some of that that hard hit metrics that are kind of popping up in in kind of advanced statistics these days. So maybe. Maybe there is kind of another step he can he can take. I, I I hope so. It's just it's so hard to envision that given his his plate discipline because when you're only walking five percent of the time and you're striking out thirty plus percent of the time, it's you've got to really really make the most of of the contact you do make and it kind of puts you at a disadvantage compared to other hitters who are making more contact, but, even if it is less authoritative contact. But Nick, he, he bought a pitching machine that throws curveballs. <laughs> hey, I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. If it would be, I would love to see them uh, really kind of find something in Gritchick and he, it would go a long way to make 20, 2018 a really interesting season if he can uh, be more than he's he's been so far. Maybe it is a magic pitching machine. <laughs> he bought a magic. Yeah. Okay. Um, let us let us mosey over to the uh, starting pitching rumor mill where it has spat out a Chris Tillman rumor, which I'm unenthused. Are you enthused? Uh, not particularly, but at the same time, I don't think Tillman is that much worse of an option than say. Jason Vargas, who's one of the free agents the Jays have allegedly been targeting. Um, Tillman was obviously very ineffective in 2017, but I think some of that could possibly have to do with an injury. I know uh, Jeff Zimmerman wrote an article over at Fangraphs about how he thinks that Tillman was injured um, for a lot of 2017. And if you if you're gonna take a take a flyer on someone and given the other options on the market again guys like like Vargas I don't think Tillman's the worst uh, the worst person to t- to take a shot on just given their other options and and the Jays kind of payroll parameters at this point I mean obviously he's not as good as guys like Alex Cobb and and people like that but it's hard for me to envision the Jays signing someone like Cobb. Um, it would, again, it would be great if they would, but that <laughs> doesn't be... feel like where it's going. Yeah, lots of things would be great. Jake Arrieta would yeah. be great, wouldn't he? 
Oh, Darvish? Yeah. Yeah, we liked all those guys. Uh, which, names which shockingly are still on the market, which I'm going to talk to, obviously, Shai Davidi about, but yeah. Um, yeah. We know Devin Travis is is planning on attending spring training, uh, but you heard a little bit about his uh, off-season regimen or lack thereof. Yeah, he was at the Jays Winterfest. I wasn't there, but I was just reading uh, an article about it, and uh, it came out that he's still not running. Uh, he plans to be before spring training because obviously running is a uh, a major part of baseball <laughs> activities for all players not named Kendrys Morales. But um, yeah, so obviously it's somewhat concerning to hear that he's uh, he's not resumed baseball activities to this point. But obviously that's why the Jays went out and they got Ingarvis Solarte and Aledmis Diaz. And honestly, I personally. I'm a little bit high on Aledmis Diaz. I I don't think that there's anything I can see in his 2016 that suggests he was getting particularly lucky when, when he had his good season. And obviously last year he struggled and was sent down. But, you know, the Car- Cardinals had such a glut of, of infielders that, you know, he, he wasn't afforded the, the chance to kind of right the ship. Um, so I think, you know, the Jays are, are in a better spot with with cover for for travis and obviously i mean i'm sure it's i can't imagine how frustrating it would be as like a major league player to train your whole life to do something and then your body is just kind of not letting you do it despite the fact that you know if we can do a callback the poor guy probably hasn't had had the pleasure of eating a burrito since you know (laughs) he was eight years old because he's taken such good care of himself i can't imagine how frustrating it is so hopefully he is able to to get the kind of the chronic bone bruises under control. We have all these notes here about you know what we were going to cover, and I forgot to say we we have to say an official goodbye to Ryan Goins. That's right. Welcome, welcome to Kansas City. <laughs> with with so uh, I think I, I skimmed it. It was uh, if he makes the major league roster, it's a million dollars. And then a hundred eight hundred twenty-five thousand dollars in performance bonuses potentially, if yeah. I read that right. My question yeah. is, what is a performance bonus for Ryan Goins? Mm. Is that OBP Sa- of two ninety? Is there a performance bonus for that? <laughs> you know, uh, knowing knowing Ned Yost, it's probably sack bunts. It, like once he gets to ten sack bunts, he he gets some extra <laughs> cash. Um, you know, I. I I'm just glad that we're not going to hear about, well, you know, we could have had Ryan Goins back over and over again because now he's one of the few people who's off the market. So all the best to him in uh, Kansas City, but I fully expect him to be exactly what he was in Toronto. D- sorry to all you Goins lovers, but <laughs> a a barely um, sufficient uh, backup infielder who uh, you really had, had no special skills other than the ability to play shortstop at an acceptable level at the major leagues. Defensively, just defensively. Uh, yeah, happy trails. Yeah, so we're gonna have a question about part of this, but um, Christian Yelich, what Yelich, depending on yeah. where you're from, was traded, of course, from Miami, who has traded everyone you might recognize. Uh, he went to the Brewers <laughs> for uh, their number. What was it? Number two, five, and sixteen prospects, or something. Uh, once again, yeah. a, a deal a little bit more focused maybe on quantity of prospects than quality. 
Mm-hmm. Well, potentially. I know Lewis Brinson has been has been ranked quite high on on the prospect list. Like he's been in the top ten before, um, and he's also he's seen time in the major leagues, so he is a little bit closer um, to being being able to contribute now than say someone like Vlad Guerrero Jr., who, according to a tweet from Craig Mish of Sirius FM, uh, he said that the Jays put in the second most competitive offer for Yelich, but that they wouldn't part with Vlad Jr. And when they wouldn't part with Vlad, that's when uh, Miami decided to to go with the Brewers offer. Um, so that's kind of the the Jays talking point in all this. Uh, Greg, would you have would you have traded young Vlad for, for Christian Yelich? Well, I don't think the Blue Jays are going to be even with Christian Yelich for the next two or three years are going to be uh, great this year. I would, I would love to see Vlad Jr. in a Blue Jays uniform for a very long time. Uh, so I probably wouldn't have, which is silly, because I mean, from from a logical perspective, Yelich is pretty good, and he already is an established major leaguer, and he's under control for five more years, I think, or four more years for like $58 million, which is peanuts for an established major leaguer. So uh, purely for emotional reasons, uh, I think keeping the number one or two or three prospect in all of – well, never one, two or three or four prospect (laughs) in all baseball, uh, I think that's the – the move that I would, I would make. And I, and I think that, you know, the blue Jays were, were, were asked about it and, and they didn't deny being in the mix, but they didn't talk about Vlad specifically. They said it would have taken a big chunk out of our organization to, to make that move. And that wasn't the right move right now. So kind of think that's what they're saying is, is Vlad is a big chunk of their future plans. Right. And, and I do think there is something to what you're saying about how, Christian Yelich doesn't make the Blue Jays World Series favorites uh, if they do acquire him this year. You know, it, it may not even make them wildcard favorites at this point. So having Vlad Jr. a few years down the road might be more beneficial to the Jays on their win curve, to use the super um, kind of super nerdy fan graphs term that I am i don't even think I completely understand. But um, yeah, having having him later might actually be more beneficial to the Jays than having uh, Yelich now. Now, interesting enough, if everything had happened last year and they were trying to do the fire Ah. sale last year, I probably would have done the deal because I would have thought the Jays had a real crack at 2017. Right. Um, But then they tighten the seams on the balls and Aaron Aaron Sanchez's fingers exploded. And we had the worst offense in the American League. Yeah. So, well, I mean, we would have had Yelich, though, to help. Oh, him. yeah. Raising us to at least 12th. It's <laughs> 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 not worse. <laughs> oh, I think that about sums up the. Oh, sorry. Lorenzo Kane, which uh, broke even later than the uh, Yelich news, also signed with the Brewers. So, I mean, sorry. we didn't have any major expectation at this point. The Blue Jays were chasing that outfielder because of the Curtis Granderson deal. Um, yep. But. Kane is now off the market. We have a question about Kane later. So um, just 580 is not cheap. It seems in line with what you would expect for, uh, you know, an outfielder with a lot of tools. So I still don't know why the slow-moving free agent market, it it hasn't cratered yet, but it hasn't gone anywhere. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to know. I know we talked last week about some of the different variables uh, and what's slowing things down. But yeah, Kane got, I think, what a lot of people expected him to get. So it's just taking forever to to get people to actually put pen to paper, it sounds like. But, you know, seeing this deal come out, there was no great bargain to be had um, that I guess at least some of us were hopeful that <laughs> that were going to happen as, as fans of a team that's within you know 15 million dollars of their opening day bu- budget um but the other good news though greg is uh with kane on the brewers uh, if the jays are interested in any more athletic high strikeout outfielders i'm sure keon broxton's now uh available <laughs> if they do want to make a move well, I mean, I there probably is a way to play five guys in the outfield every game. I uh, just I don't think it's been looked into in any great depth yet. Oh, I'll bet you Joe Maddens looks into it. <laughs> Wonderful Joe, overmanaging Joe Madden as they call him. Um, so you know, we we are talking about the difficulty of. Uh, being a free agent at this late stage and, and what kind of deals are coming out. And that's exactly what a lot of my talk with uh, Josh Kuznick was. And that's what we're going to go to right now and uh, and see what he has to say about the whole thing from the perspective of an agent. And we are happy to welcome back to the program, Josh Kuznick, uh, because I always have to have a Josh, but uh, to this week we have a limit of one. It's just you and me tonight. Uh, welcome to Artificial Turf Wars. Hi, how are you doing? I am doing wonderful. And how are, are, are you feeling good tonight? Are you, uh, are you safe and sound? I, I, yeah, I, I just got off a plane. Uh, I just came back from Cody Decker's wedding in California. And uh, and now I'm home, and I remembered I had to do this, and I'm all excited about it because I tried to do it earlier, and then you guys couldn't, and that was my fault, and now we're here, and now uh, I'm excited. Yeah, we we were we were ships passing in the night previously. Um, so w- you are of course <laughs> a player agent, and uh, this is the season where we would think player agents do a lot of their their footwork only. It hasn't quite worked out that way, but we'll get to the specifics of the offseason as we go here. Uh, but first of all, I think a general question that I, a lot of us wonder about is how early before a player might be a free agent, whether whether because he's got six years of service time or, or whether because, um, you know, he's he's been moved around the waiver wire a whole bunch and optioned out, et cetera, et cetera. How long before that do you do you start building a plan with the player for free agency and, and what to do? Oh, oh, we, you, at least in my, my capacity, um, that is something that is mapped out from the draft where you try to get an ideal, uh, plan moving forward, like a roadmap for the rest of your player's career. So for instance, Carlos Aswahe, who was drafted in 2013, we came up with a plan, just me and Los, and, um, he has incrementally hit every benchmark on that path. And it's worked out exactly as, as we had planned it, where he would be an A-ball one year, double-A another year, triple-A another year, 40-man, futures game, big leagues, now he's on his way to arbitration, then free agency, and everything is on its way to being what we had envisioned. So um, in most cases, at least for me, you have to have a general idea as soon as the draft is over. 
so you're you're building that case as you go and, and you know you know when you go into negotiation say for arbitration you can look back and you you know you can say okay this guy is has been you know on target this whole time we can we can probably you know we have a better picture of what we're asking for yeah i i would uh, there's a comfort level when you have a player that hasn't had any uh obstacles on the field off the field whatever they may be and you can rely on the player to do his job to the best of his capabilities without distractions and in those situations it's very easy to negotiate uh, because if things don't work out uh, with, with the ball club uh, in a way that you and the player are comfortable with, you feel okay trusting your player. Like, hey, we're going to do a one-year deal. We're going to go to arbitration. We're going to a hearing. We're going to sign this, blah, blah. Whatever you, you put on the player, you know he's going to handle it. Now, there are other situations where obstacles happen, and you have to take all that new consideration, and maybe you do take a deal because free agency is not appealing, which uh, is something that I have faced often in my career. Well, yeah, n- not every player is uh, is on the Mike Trout trajectory, as it were. <laughs> no, no, unfortunately for me, no, no, they are not. So uh, it would be great if they were. And but but to, in all seriousness, though, uh, to varying degrees, all these guys get paid. All these guys make money that most people never would see in their real lives, like non, you know, outside of sports. So even when you're dealing with the quote unquote lower tier of contracts, they're all still really important. Um, from my perspective, obviously, so there's no such thing as you know, like a throwaway deal or a throwaway free agent deal, or you know, just settling and punting. Like every single deal that I do uh, with a player, because I'm a smaller size company, because I only have four guys in the big leagues and I work alone. Um, every deal I do is really important. So this year we were talking off air a second ago. I got five, six guys that have major league time that are currently free agents. And it is killing me, and it is not moving in a direction that I had hoped it would for every one of them, and it has nothing to do with them as a monolith or individual individually. Um, it's more of a monolith. I'm sorry. Uh, so nothing's moving in free agency, even at the lower tiers, at least from what I've seen, and uh, that's been that's been unexpected. So that's just something new that I've had to deal with this year. So that's been great. So that leads into sort of the next topic which is is there is sort of this very very late um season it's getting close to spring training to pitchers and catchers and we've got all these names still on the board what do you think is going on there uh i don't know i i have i'm in the trenches and uh i don't i don't know i i see it uh i mean Jeremy Jeffress signed his contract with Milwaukee before free agency specifically specifically uh, because I was concerned about the free agent marketplace for, for a guy in his position. I was so terrified uh, of the prospects of free agency in this class. He took his deal that some people were not thrilled with the structure of it, and um, to that, I don't, I don't care. It was good for Jeremy, so I'm thrilled he's not a free agent, but I have other guys that are not going to, you know, break the bank that would be on the front page of, of ESPN, you know, or whatever, um, that are looking to just get into spring training, big league invite, um, you know, any kind of deal like that. And I have not been able to get traction going with pretty much every single client I have with big league time. There has been essentially no movement on what I have seen. And that includes um, one of my clients who was on the Red Sox opening day roster last year. It is incredible i don't know what the hell to make of 
of that. I'm just trying to uh, fight through it, and um, I got 21 days to get six guys' jobs, so no pressure. So our our teams like when you call are they like we're we're we don't need forty players we don't need that many people in camp this year are they saying we're going to go with with young guys or like do they have an answer for for why you know they just there's so little interest? Uh, I mean there are very variations of what you just said for sure. Um, I mean there there have been other clubs that have have said to me they're full, which I guess every team has thirty top prospects that they just don't need players anymore and all 30 teams are going to win the world series that's cool <laughs> um but but uh I, I mean that's great it's a boon for player development where every single team has everyone they need uh, <laughs> but, but 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 that said uh it's some variations of that and i've been running up against the wall with stuff that is not seven figures um i mean pedro gomez actually tweeted out something from one of my clients the other day i, I had a minor league free agent Tyler Badamo who was with the Mets the Diamondbacks got all the way to AAA last year he's 24 years old a minor league deal on him would cost nothing if he got released before before the season out of spring it would cost nothing players not paid during spring training it would cost roster spot he got to AAA last year after he signed out of Indy Ball after he got released by the Mets and he has the NCAA scoreless streak record for consecutive innings pitched uh, scoreless like the Hershiser record except for college and um, I can't get him a job anywhere right now. There's some traction, but, I mean, he, he literally went on Twitter and asked teams for a job yesterday. And it's like, what the hell? So, <laughs> it, it, there, in some situations, there does – I'm not going to use the C word, but um, in some cases, it does feel like something might be uh, an, external, an external force uh, stopping teams from doing something. What that is, I have no idea. Um, but there are teams where I would reach out, or I have reached out, and they will say, you know, let's talk closer to spring. There's 21 days left. How much closer do I need to wait here? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you, you would think that for free, essentially, uh, some team would at least want to take a peek, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Give them a uniform. Yeah, and right and years past uh years past all my free agent work would be finished by the winter meetings or shortly thereafter this is the longest i've ever gone with multiple free agents much less six of them and um i see what the top half of the market looks like from the the high-end players financially the the top tier that we all read about every day and um those guys aren't signed so what does that say for the position that i'm in currently and part of it, not going to the C word, um, the market is completely frozen until those top tier guys sign, in my opinion, to, to a degree, because they can't sign. If they don't sign, the next tier of players can't sign because they don't want to get stuck in a situation where they're signing where somebody just got $200 million or shortly thereafter. So if a player is a uh, first baseman and then they take a deal and then that team goes out and signs Eric Hosmer, um, I can imagine the guy who signed there first would probably not be real happy after the fact. Um, so in that sense, everything's kind of frozen there. But below that is you have that group of major league players that maybe aren't going to get a ton of money and teams are offering the minor league deals out of opportunity, which doesn't look great um, that they're taking advantage of that. But um, in my opinion, but you, you have this tier of guys that played in the major league last year and are getting offered minor league deals right now. And those guys don't want to take those deals yet because they're waiting to try to get big league deals. So below that, the guys in my tier 
um, the guys who are in AAA that have big league time, they can't get signed yet because the tier above them hasn't signed. So there is a trickle down all the way from the Eric Hosmers of the world all the way down to Tyler Badamo. Like, it really affects everyone. The guys that have signed with teams yet, but they were so far, have been the exception and not the rule. You go to Baseball America's transaction page or, or any transaction page online, and, I mean, this past week period for their transactions, I think it was 30 minor league deals got signed in all of baseball. Not every team signed somebody. And the guys that had got signed, some of them were at an indie ball, some were for low A and filling out screen training. So, like, guys with service time, maybe 10 of those guys signed in the last week. When has that ever happened in January during a free agency period? I, I, I've been an agent 15 years now. That's never happened it, from what I've seen. So I, I might be the right person to talk to, but I don't have any answers for why the market is this way. I have my own working theories, but, um, you know, to speculate that openly would be reckless. But, um, you know, from what I've seen, I, I certainly do not mind talking about. So are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, so, okay, in previous seasons when, when you've, you know, you've sort of known what, what was going, I'm sure you have uh, sort of a, a line to go with a, a client who might not be the first person picked up, hey, sit tight, or, or whatever you say to encourage them about the process. What do you say this year? Like, how do you comfort or assure a player in this environment? All I've got right now is I keep telling them the top five free agents in baseball still have not signed yet. And there's like a hundred plus players that have service from last year that have not signed yet. And that if maybe one or two of my clients had signed already, maybe I would be concerned for the individuals right now, but every single client I have that's a free agent is the exact same boat. And I have to keep telling them the same exact thing. I started screen capping them. Um, text messages I got directly from teams where it's like, hey, let's just sit tight and closer to spring. And it's like, what do I say to that? Other than showing them exactly what the text is, I don't even know how to relay that information without sounding terrible because it sounds like I'm not doing my job, which is not the case. It's just nothing's happening. And, yeah, it's frustrating as hell that I have to every day, yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's still nothing. And I can't get annoyed at it. It's their lives. And that's my job. And I'm not. But there's nothing I've got. I mean, even when there's a small lead, like when the, uh, like the McCutcheon trade happens, maybe there's an opportunity to move an outfielder around. Um, I mean, that's literally like the only news that I've like, when there's a trade that happens, I get to be reactionary and that is the most action I've had all off season. So uh, I may be digging into a wound here, but but you have a couple of former uh, clients who are, are currently in the major leagues. Kenley Jansen is one. Lorenzo Cain is a current free agent. Um, and, and obviously, we, yeah. we don't ha- have the inside view of, of how you parted terms with them. So do, do you have still an emotional investment in someone who was a former client uh, about what's happening to them in free agency? I feel like asking me that question would lead to be assuming you guys all listen to the podcast I just or is that just like coincidental? Because I literally spent an hour uh, doing a forensic autopsy of how I got fired by both guys, and it's awesome. <laughs> well, okay, like, what was that it, podcast? It is, and I'll refer is, people to it. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't mind talking about it. Getting fired by Kenley sucked. He's a good dude. I'm happy for him. I think the thing I lament more than anything in the whole world is that I played a role, a large one, in him becoming a pitcher, and I'm not going to be in his Hall of Fame speech. That kind of pisses me off. Aside from that, I'm pretty happy for him. I mean, I didn't get any money. I lost millions of dollars. 
I was there from the time he was a catcher. It sucks, but what are you going to do? If you can't take a hit like that financially um, and live with it, you shouldn't be an agent. And I don't recommend people just like, hey, I'm going to be an agent, lose millions of dollars, then keep doing it like Josh did. No, that's stupid. Don't do that. Um, but with Lorenzo, um, that one's tough. I, I went to school at Florida State. I, um, I found him at Tallahassee Community College before almost anyone else. Um, I mean, certainly before anybody on the business side. And um, I worked with him a long time, uh, till 2011. So like the last seven years, I haven't worked for him. His mom was really nice to me. The family's great. The story was good, but um, no, I don't. I mean, I don't want him to get hurt or anything, but I don't care what happens to him in any way. I, it's a non-issue to me. He doesn't care what happens to me. If he did, I wouldn't have gotten fired, but um, no, we don't, we don't, we don't care about each other anymore. That's kind of what happens. And that's, that's the bad part of the business because I, you know, we were both friends coming up in the industry together for a long time and, uh, and then nothing. And that's the part of the job that really sucks. And, um, I had mentioned this before and I don't mind saying it again, even though I'm stealing for myself here, but I'd gotten asked about this, uh, similar kind of line of questioning about low. And, uh, and, uh, my answer was I, in free agency, I cannot comment on specific contracts of other players that I don't work for it's incredibly uh, frowned upon to to speculate on free agency stuff like that but you know i know i know you didn't ask that but the the answer i kind of gave was you know i like i said i don't wish ill on lorenzo or any former client i hope they all get paid it's good for everyone that said i hope lorenzo gets the exact contract he deserves (laughs) (laughs) well not to put too fine a point on it let me move over to a slightly more light-hearted question to finish things off um so Often, when there is a market and things are bubbling under, all of a sudden, after a list of teams, we get and mystery team is involved. And I've always wondered myself, where do you think the mystery team comes from? Is that the agent who's a little desperate? Is the media bored? Like, is why it's, why why the mystery a, team? It's got to be a combination of both, and you totally have to consider the source when you hear the phrase mystery team i obviously have to work with a good number of people in the media and um anytime i hear anyone that uh i like or respect in the media people that i personally read um for my own uh information uh, if they use the phrase mystery team i will call them and laugh at them um and i've seen everyone from i mean i'm gonna start naming people whatever like um like John Heyman and I are friends. He likes to use mystery team. And I like to make fun of John Heyman for saying mystery team. So, um, because it's not really a mystery team. If the writer is writing about it, he knows what the team is. He's just being a tool, not telling people the team that he knows. <laughs> I feel like the only mystery like team would be right- like, like the Hiroshima carp. <laughs> well, that would be a mystery team. Although I don't know if anyone knows this and this is not me, but like two years ago at the trade deadline, some genius human being and not sarcastic. I would buy this Twitter handle if I could. Somebody created the Twitter handle, I think, at Mystery Team, and it had a logo of like a question mark, and the description was, I'm the Mystery Team, and I'm trading for all your players. It was all these rumors on how Mystery Team was in on every single player, and it was hilarious. I, I think that's where we get that and them using language that makes it much more like uh, uh, teams recording a girlfriend rather than trying to sign a professional to do anything. Well, the other part of it that's really crazy is that I keep seeing these figures being bandied about of what teams are allegedly offering players. And I know fans, that's all they have to go by. But someone who's in the industry like me, who I think I have a good grasp of what's going on and how to do my job, 
Um, I hear the numbers. I know the players. I know the numbers are 100% wrong, like low or high. And it's like, how do the reporters just write what agents tell them sometimes? And legitimately, and, and I think we all know the good from the bad writers. Um, it's obvious. And um, the, some of the bad writers get 100% of their information from agents. And those are the people that are very easy to, to, I mean, in my position, it would be very easy for me to manipulate someone like that. I do not do that because I'm all about transparency. I can come on here and say whatever I want and not really worry about it because I know I'm not going to do anything that damaging to myself. Um, I don't need to use the media in that sense where I would just like, hey, get, get this out there. Just say this. I, I don't do that because I could just say it. Um, and then people could make their own determination. So there's a lot of information trading between writers and agents as a whole. Um, but I, for me, at least there's a diminishing return on something like that, because if someone's going to write something not true about your player and it's really good and then it doesn't happen, it doesn't help you. So maybe there's a short term burst, but what it does do is it really, for some of the writers, it, it diminishes their entire brand. And there are guys that were great a couple of years ago that we all thought were rising stars that are terrible now. And, um, and no one reads them or pays attention to them, and they're laughing stocks in the industry, and then every agent knows who to not talk to, and that's what happens. And there are legitimately writers in the industry um, that I could point to and tell you every single agency that is giving them information based on the way that they report. The general public doesn't get to pick up on stuff like that. I do, and it's like, wow, you guys aren't even trying to hide it. <laughs> Yeah, we we do uh, we do occasionally wonder who works for as example, of course, Boras Incorporated, uh, who just happens to also work for you know somebody like ESPN or SI or whoever. It it, it is a it is yeah, a little well, suspicious bit of a dance. Well, yeah, and, and what's hilarious is I just mentioned a writer that I like to make fun of, and you brought up Boris, and we'll leave that alone. <laughs> All right. Well, on on that note, I I would like um I would like to thank you, Josh Kuznick, for dropping by once again. Uh, your perspective as an agent is very different from the way that everybody else looks at the game. So we uh, we appreciate yeah. you sharing so openly um your thoughts. And I do hope that uh, someone listens to the podcast and signs all six of your free agents. Mystery team. Mystery team. Mystery team's gonna get them all for sure. <laughs> Have a good night, sir. All of them. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. Let's do this again before two years from now. All right, take care. So that there you have it. Uh, it is a, a nerve-wracking time for uh, agents and, and clients who might not have a guaranteed deal. Uh, there's a lot of other things that we can talk about specific with the Blue Jays this offseason. So we're going to go straight on over to uh, Shai Davidi, and we're going to have a chat with him about where the Blue Jays are at and, and what they might have left to do. We'll read back in just a sec. And I am happy to welcome back to Artificial Turf Wars, Mr. Shai Davidi of Sportsnet. Shai, how are you doing tonight? I'm not too bad. How about yourself? I am wonderful. It's good to have you back. Um, always an exciting time of year. Uh, well, it's supposed to be an exciting time of year. As we watch the, the roster, you know, get finished off before spring training, we're not quite finished yet. Uh, but I figure we'll launch right into it with the names we do have. We have Aledmus Diaz. We have Curtis Granderson, we have Randall Grichuk, and Yangervis Solarte. So 
what are the Jays trying to do here, or what have they done for their offense, do you think? All right, well, let's start here. You're right that they're not done. I still think there's probably two moves left. There's probably a starter, probably a reliever. Although, you know, some, some sort of opportunity shakes loose, that could, that could change. But that's, that's my expectation as of right now. Uh, in terms of what they're trying to do, uh, it, it's sort of layered, right? They wanted to insert a bit more power, uh, the potential for more production, uh, potential for more on base. Uh, and to a certain degree, they've done all of that. They also wanted to protect themselves in the middle infield uh, against the potential for injuries to Devin Travis and Troy Tulowitzki with guys you actually want to give at-bats to. Uh, and so that's an important point of distinction because you don't mind giving at-bats to Solarte and Diaz, uh, whereas you know if you give 800 at-bats to Darwin Barney and Ryan Gorins, you have the kind of system that you had last year. Uh, and, and secondly, they wanted to get, create a bunch of options for themselves in the outfield so that they could put guys like Teoscar Hernandez and Anthony Alford and Dalton Bombay in positions where they have to wait for, uh, for a spot on the team and really have to force their way on it. Are you surprised that we didn't see um, something about Lorenzo Cain at this point? Uh, and we, you know, instead they went sort of with that Granderson Grichuk direction? I would say that the, the Blue Jays had, had an interest in Lorenzo Cain. Uh, I'm going to speculate here is that Cain probably had a bit more term or a bit more dollars uh, than what the Blue Jays wanted to do. And again, I'm speculating here just sort of based on the way they ran things last year is that the Blue Jays would have probably set themselves up in a position where, you know, they're, they are playing all their different options and they might have given you know Kane a deadline, uh, sort of the way they gave teams they were trying to pull off trades with last year a deadline, and then when that didn't happen, they started turning to their alternatives. So in this case, it was you know the Granderson and Grichuk, uh, and last year it was signing re-signing Jose Batista. So that that's just my speculation, um, and it's going to be interesting to see where Kane lands because uh, at this point. I don't know. I mean, they must have. I would expect that if they didn't end up here in Toronto, they'd probably have a good offer somewhere else. Uh, but this has been such a weird market. I don't know what to think about uh, the actions of any free agent right now. Uh, and I'm not sure how teams are going about their business either. It's, it's been a real head scratching sort of winter. Yeah, I, I would think that, you know, if Lorenzo Cain or, you know, someone of that ilk was already off the market and they were moving on, that would make sense. But, you know, Cain's still out there. A lot of guys are still out there. So I'm just kind of curious why. Again, I, I, I talked to an agent this week as well, so I don't want to get too much into it. Um, but this is a very strange market. Um, do you still expect that flurry of activity? And do you think the Jays are going to be involved um, with with this, you, like you said, there's probably two more moves. How, how serious do you think they are in terms of of those last two moves? Uh, well, very serious. I mean, I don't I don't anticipate it being a position player. I think if if, if they add another position player, it would be sort of a, a someone who kind of came to them as a bit of a surprise, or or just the value was so overwhelming to them and they didn't expect to have that chance that they have to do it. Uh, so I really think that we're going to see a starting pitcher, and it could be sort of one in a number of different directions. You know, maybe maybe sort of a, 
uh, Chris Tillman, uh, Wade Miley, uh, Jamie Garcia type uh, in, in that sort of range uh, to bolster the rotation. Uh, on the flip side, they could go a little lower end and maybe do like a Brett Anderson and then spend a bit more on a relief piece. Uh, but, you know, I think they're thinking uh, the type of reliever, uh, maybe like a, a Sang Wang O or Tyler Clippard, someone with some, some leverage any experience, uh, someone who can sort of fill that Joe Smith role. Uh, personally, I do like, I think I'm pretty intrigued by, by O. I think they're, even though some of the, the peripherals weren't great last year, the, the walk to strikeout ratio was good. There's still some swing and miss there. Uh, and maybe it's just, just an odd year for him last year and, and he's closer to what he was in 16 and 17. Uh, so I think that's, uh, that's the type of moves I think we can expect. But look, the, the trade market may suddenly present, the, present them with some opportunities. You know, if, if a team decides to, to shift direction, I, I, I still think, like, not just the Jays. I think the Jays are relatively settled, but they still have some money to work with, so it gives them some opportunities. But a lot of other teams aren't really settled yet. Uh, just because of how many players that remain on the market and the number of different directions team can still teams can still go. So it, I, I think there are a lot of potential avenues, and teams like the Blue Jays are going to be sort of careful to not necessarily cut themselves off uh, as long as they have what they feel are the best alternatives on the market or other alternatives on the market. So as you talk about acquiring pitching, I guess the big question is, do you think that the Blue Jays have – change the wor- the league's worst offense into something that that is uh acceptable at this point or or is that just they need the pitching more than they need to fix the offense at this point well so the the answer is i don't know and one of the reasons we don't know is because we can't say with any certainty what's troy tulowitzki right is is justin smoke going to perform similarly in that 900 OPS range. Uh, you know, are you going to be able to get a full year of Josh Donaldson? What's Devin Travis? Is he, is he playing 40 games? Is he playing 80 games? Is he playing 120 games? Um, I think all those things mean that there's a lot of volatility in the, in, in trying to predict what that offense is going to be. I mean, I think it could be, I think it could very easily be, you know, in the, you know, say four to four to eight range in terms of teams in the American or rank in the American league. Uh, but there's the potential for them to struggle badly uh, again. So it, it, it's an interesting question, but in terms of adding more position players, you'd have to be subbing someone out right now uh, because you're not going to add another complimentary piece. I mean, maybe you had a backup catcher, but I, that, that's going to be an incremental upgrade over Luke Maley. So I, I don't think that's going to be substantial or significant one way or the other. If, if, if Russell Martin gets hurt, you know, we're going to see Danny Jansen or Reese McGuire probably getting the bulk of ABs. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think the backup catcher is going to change the situation. Uh, beyond that, I don't know that you, could, that you can do something unless you're moving one of the pieces off. So, you know, you'd have to maybe trade Kevin Pillar for something and get a new center fielder. Um, and, and are you doing that much better at that point? So, so the offense sort of is what it is right now, uh, barring some sort of transformational type deal. I think on the pitching side, they they just need the depth, right? I think they need the options. 
you know, there, there's a faction in the, in the Blue Jays that really want Joe Biagini to, to end up in the rotation. They want to give him a chance to start. Uh, I think that there's also a faction that would like to see him back in the bullpen. Uh, and there's probably a, a thought that, you know, they wouldn't mind having him at AAA just waiting for an opportunity in case there's an injury or someone stumbles in the rotation. Uh, but they have to get that starting piece in order to allow that to happen. And look, if you can get someone who can reliably eat some innings in the number five uh, spot in the rotation, uh, I think you've got a chance to be a much deeper staff. You've got a chance to have Joe Biagini either be in your bullpen or be that depth piece, uh, and you protect yourself against a number of different outcomes. So I think that's why we're going to see that investment in pitching, uh, and especially with Dominic Leo not on the team anymore. I mean, that, that's a spot that they do have to backfill for. So ultimately, uh, the question comes up over and over again. Well, how much do have the Jays spent up to this point? And it's an interesting number to throw around because it's more money than I will ever make in my entire lifetime. But I guess more to the point is how much do do they say they have to spend at this point? What What is really left over? And is that left over so we can spend it on opening day and have a guy for a full year? Or is that like that's all the flexibility they're going to have for, for the remainder of the year if they had to trade in season? Right. So that, that, the latter part of that, I can't say with any certainty because that I don't know. Uh, the sense that I've gotten is that right now they're somewhere, they have remaining somewhere uh, above 10, but probably a bit below 15 uh, in that sort of ballpark to work with. And I think they're, partly that's impacted by, you know, the, the roughly million dollars split in, in arbitration potential between what they've offered uh, and, and what the, the player has asked in the arbitration cases with Stroman and Asuna. Uh, and then, of course, I think they can always create a bit more space uh, by, if they had to, they could always release someone like Ezekiel Carrera uh, and save themselves 75% of the salary if they dump him before uh, before the end of spring training. So I, I think there's room for them to be creative. The, the question is, you know, do they want to bank a little bit of money and save it for in-season? Or is the piece that they can add right now the sensible one? Uh, and, and, you know, better, a better use of the money because you can, you can leverage it over the course of 162 potentially rather than, you know, 80 or 70 or 60 or whatever, whatever point you spend it in-season. So uh, I think, again, you know, I've, I can't remember an off-season where the possibilities on – you know, January, late January, February looming have been so open and so plentiful for teams. Uh, and it really, in a lot of ways, it feels like it's almost like a December uh, uh, still in a typical offseason. Yeah, well, I mean, with, with yeah. that top tier like you, Darvish, floating around there, still not settled, I think um... – you know, it's it's and JD hard Martinez to believe. and Jake yeah. Arrieta and Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakas. I mean, it's bananas. Yeah, we we just don't have any answers. It's it's a suspicious bunch of answers we don't have, if you ask me. But that's my personal opinion. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, we're we're obviously gonna one would think by the beginning of spring training. That's only three weeks away. We should see something. So it, it's I guess it's all a matter of who blinks first at this point. Right, and you know, I think that we're starting to see some agents and some players just deciding to to take the the bird in hand instead of sort of waiting out the market right and uh, look if you're a player this is this is like terribly stressful right Mm -hmm. because you're like where am i packing where am i sending my stuff to how am i organizing my life 
right? I don't even know which spring training camp I'm going to. Am I sending my stuff to Florida or Arizona? I, it's not, you know, it sounds, it, it sounds like, oh, it's not a big deal, but you know, the, these are people's lives, right? They need, they want to organize their lives. They've got, if they, if they have children, you know, they've got to think about what are we doing with their children? What are my family arrangements? It's uh it's there are a lot of different things that are inconveniencing players and stresses on players that can start forcing decisions. Uh, so it's going to be really intriguing to watch how the how the dominoes fall in the end. Um, and and I do think players are going to probably start blinking first because ultimately they got to get jobs. They got to get paid. Indeed, indeed. And uh, I'm sure these are the kind of inconveniences that people remember when they start uh, talking to the Players Association. Next time an agreement comes oh, around. Oh, yeah. All right. So well, I'm going to just. Without a doubt. Yeah, I'm going to change gears completely to guys who don't have to worry about those sorts of things anymore. Uh, we just, prior to recording this, had the Hall of Fame announcement a couple of hours ago. You have a ballot. Now, remind me, did you put 10 names on your ballot? I did. I appreciate that. As a, as a baseball fan, I appreciate in this crop that you put 10 names on your ballot. Um, how many of our current inductees, there were four, uh, obviously Chipper Jones, Vladimir Guerrero, uh, Jim Tomey, and uh, Trevor Hoffman, how many of those were on your ballot? Do you remember? All four. Wow, you're, you All pick a winner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, well, I, look, I mean, I, I don't think that these ones were particularly complicated, right? Uh, and, you know, I, I added, I did something on my ballot this year that I, I never wanted to do, and that's take a player I'd voted for previously off my ballot. Uh, but I looked, I, I've, I've wanted to, I've been at 10 for a few years now, uh, and I've, I've always stuck to it. When someone's on my ballot, they stay there. But I got to the point where, you know, Edgar Martinez is in his, is in his, you know, penultimate year. Fred McGriff is in his penultimate year. They're two guys I've wanted to vote for. Uh, I had Kurt Schilling, and uh, as as a pitcher, not as a person, uh, I'll, I'll note, and and Jeff Kent on my ballot. And ultimately, I decided that you know they're they're still going to have more time on their ballot, but I'm going to run out of opportunities to vote for these two guys. I'm going to try to give them the best chance that I can. Um, and so I, I added them to my ballot. Uh, this year uh, and then I, I you know I've had Larry Walker on my ballot I'm going to be writing about you know him and, and what, why why I think uh, you know he deserves a bit more play or a bit more consideration beyond the numbers uh, for sportsman.ca tomorrow and you know I've, I, I, those are some guys that I feel strongly about and it's going to be interesting because next year a lot of people are going to have some room on their ballots and, you know, people like Edgar Martinez, who didn't get in, was close, and Larry Walker, who made a bit of a move but hasn't, and Fred McGriff, who's been stuck in the mud for a long time. I wonder if they get a bit of a boost and we might see a bit of an uptick for guys like that next uh, in the next year. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see because there are a couple of, uh, you know, uh, I think Pedro is on for his first year next year. Uh, Halliday will, will be there. So, that, you know, there's some automatics, as, you know, that, that a lot of people are going to just replace on the ballot like this year. So it's it's a tough call. I, I know. It is it, What's your – sorry, Pedro. Why did I say Pedro? I'm thinking of somebody else. I think you meant Mariano. Mariano. Sorry. Um, but what I was going to ask was um, – do you are you one of the people who just wishes they would have a binary ballot? Yeah, I, I think the the binary ballot makes a lot more sense. Or, I mean, ultimately, I don't like 
I, I, in fact, not that I only don't like. I just hate the whole concept, oh, this guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer, this guy's second ballot. Like, look, you either are or you aren't, you right? Mm-hmm. And, like, I, you know, I can understand that maybe your opinion on someone evolves over time, but you shouldn't have to play the system. And I really felt like this year what I did was play the system uh, because I had to. And, you know, I was, we have the hall, we have like the hall of fame tracker that, that Ryan Thibodeau puts together. It's, you know, really become uh, influential in people's decision-making. I believe it certainly is in mine. Um, but that's not what the hall of fame ballot should be, at least in my opinion. I mean, it's like if a player deserves to be there, you shouldn't be restrict, or in your opinion, deserves to be there. You shouldn't be restricted by the number of spots on your ballot. You should be able to vote for who you believe should be in the hall, and there shouldn't be limits, and there shouldn't be all the other gaming elements that are unfortunately a part of the the process right now. And, and I'm glad to hear that that as a writer you think that way because I, I think the hall cheapens itself by creating a difficult and and vague not vague a, a difficult and complicated or convoluted process for getting people you know into the museum and then uh, we've talked on the, our, our podcast a few times about why um, they're, they're really shooting themselves in the foot over and over but I, I'm hoping that younger writers like yourself are going to, you know, start to sort of have more sway in, in terms of, of why you're voting for these, these people, you know, in the long run is, is they really deserve to be there to be remembered, um, you know, as, as the greatest people who played the game. Although to be fair, uh, you know, the, I mean, the one, the electorate has changed a fair bit over the past few years and we're seeing it, uh, we're seeing a more progressive, I'd like to think, uh, approach to voting from a number of people, uh, the, we've actually pushed be, pushed a little bit harder even than the Hall of Fame uh, in terms of being open and transparent, um, and, and they've sort of put the brakes on it a little bit uh, as well. You know, the, the, the writers have wanted and asked for uh, far more spots on the on the ballot. You know, we at one point there was a proposal for 15 spots. Uh, later amended to 12, and, and, and those were shot down. So, you know, I, I, I think that exists. I think it's going to get better. I think we'd, we'd like to see the Hall of Fame move a little bit more too uh, and perhaps be a bit more flexible in dealing with what's been a, a real logjam of worthy candidates for an extended period. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, no, I'm not criticizing the writers in this case. I think there is a, a very progressive block. I think, I think the Hall itself needs to listen to that block of writers more. Um, yeah, on that agreed. note... On that note, I, I would again thank you for coming by, uh, talking all things Blue Jays, uh, and of course, um, I, once again appreciate the ten man ballot. I hope we'll talk to you in the season about how successful the Blue Jays have been and how they've blown everybody away by racing to the top of the division. <laughs> it would be a, it would be a, a nice uh, a nice refresh after last year for sure. Indeed, here's to miracles. Thanks again, Chief. <laughs> no problem. Take care. I, yeah, that that whole relationship with the Hall of Fame, I think is, uh, I think it's a it's a very weird dynamic to have the writers, you know, making those choices on behalf of the Hall and yet not really being in control of what's going on. Yeah, it's a it's a strange setup, and I I'm sure one if they could redo, they'd reconsider, because um, yeah, it, it it does seem like it's a a machine with a bunch of different kind of. <laughs> 
parts that don't Com- do anything. Parts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, or don't do the things that they they're supposed to do. I'm not sure which. All right, we uh, want to get everything in this week, so we're going to hit up the questions right away. Right. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Uh, we usually only say them once, but sometimes I repeat them just for fun. <laughs> uh, I will uh, get us fired up. Is there any uh, AO at OSIC87 asks, uh, is there any interest in anyone remaining on the Marlins? I don't think so um, at this point. Uh, I know there's another question about Dan Straley, who's a starting pitcher on the Marlins. Um, so I'm going to. I'm going to answer this one uh, as well. I think given Straley's home run problems and uh, kind of his his upside, you might as well just sign someone like Chris Tillman. I don't think there's uh, enough of a enough of a positive advantage or gain in, in getting someone like Straley compared to someone like Chris Tillman or another kind of a low end free agent or low cost free agent. Um, so I, I'd say at this point, unfortunately, the uh, the fish has been uh, picked down to the bones. Ah, it's a it's a Marlin joke. Um, or Mar- oh. I, I would have to say that the, in, in, you know, is there any interest in anyone remaining on the Marlins? Not from anyone in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. What do we got next? All right. So we've got uh, how bad is Lorenzo Cain and how precipitous is going to, is his drop-off going to be between now and the end of March? So that's from Tao of Steve, who is a bit of a legend on Blue Jays Twitter. So <laughs> oh, he's Tao, the best. Yeah. Um, Lorenzo is, is very old, and uh, I can see him declining a lot, really, and probably barely average, maybe less than average, probably, probably below replacement level, I think. Are you feeling oh. any better, Tao? <laughs> absolutely it's gonna be a win per week between now and easter it's just it's it's a good thing the jays didn't try and invest in him because he's he's destined for (laughs) for yeah it's just it's gonna be a big disappointment out in in milwaukee sometimes giving the right answer is important it's it's giving the answer you want Um, Sam Dowdle at Sam Dowdle asks, uh, g- given the current oversupply of outfielder position, who gets traded first and when? For me, I know the name we keep hearing is Steve Pierce, but I think it's going to be one of Pilar or Hernandez if somebody gets moved. But I think ultimately there's still a lot of outfielders available on the free agent market, and I just can't see a lot of teams uh, being willing to to fork over the the players to get somebody when they can just spend some money and and get one of the many free agents out there yeah i think more than likely uh as shy davidi mentioned you can release ezekiel carrera because he's not on a um he wasn't on a free agent contract he was tendered an offer you can release him and save 75 percent of his money if you release him before the end of spring training so if that log jam is still there and nobody gets hurt and you don't need them all you maybe you're looking at releasing somebody that's a sad answer isn't it (laughs) yeah what's next all right uh the next question is colleen evans asks uh will either of you be in spring training this year have you been in the past and or is it something that you would like to do i have been to spring training one times 
um it okay. was it was a lot of fun i i took in a game i, I checked out the uh the stadium i did not really hang around the backfields or anything i know she's probably directing this thinking josh is going to be healthy enough to answer it he's in spring training almost every year because uh his parents have a place in florida and uh he visits them uh tries to time that out so he sees a couple of games and certainly he's he's done you know some interviews and met some players so i think he really enjoys it have you been down i haven't no um i'd like to go um, but yeah, I've never, my schedule's never afforded me the opportunity to get down there as of yet. Um, but yeah, I look forward to going if I can. You need to book some tour dates in March. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that would be nice being, being in Florida in March, but you yeah, just gotta get the unfortunately in on that. <laughs> Dunedin is not, uh, on most, on most tours, unless you're Jimmy Buffett. You can go to Orlando. There's nothing wrong yeah. with Orlando. Yeah, that's that's true. Now I just got to convince everybody else in the band why we have to stay there for five days. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's perfect until it's not. Um, uh, I liked, uh, let's see, Luke uh, J-Bats Forever at Split Letters asks, with the news coming out of the Yelich trade, does this mean Vladdy Jr. is officially, quote, untouchable, unquote? I would think uh, as a, unclose to untouchable as as a prospect can get. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a trade we could conceive of where it'd be, it would make sense to move him. But I think for all intents and purposes, he's probably not going anywhere. Yeah. You come to me and say Clayton Kershaw for Vlad jr. Straight up. And I'm like, where do I sign? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that word is a funny word and, and everybody's untouchable till they're not, but he's certainly the last person the blue Jays want to trade right now. Right. All right. So Colleen has another question, uh, and she says, is it wrong to assume that major league teams check eyesight in spring training with other physical checks? And then that relates to Brian um, uh, A's question at big underscore B underscore SR. If Bautista signs with another team and hits 40 home runs after getting his vision cleared up, will he lose any fan loyalty from Jay's fans? Seems like he shouldn't have kept his vision loss a secret and stuff. So that means that right in the middle of questions, we get... A do-over. Oh my God! Did he really just say that? But we can try again, right? You talking about a do-over, baby? Are you talking about a do-over? We believe in second chances. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm gonna take this one. I'm gonna say, first of all, I'm not entirely sure that I believe the whole idea that Jose Bautista never got his vision checked. But right there, there was an article that came out in the Sun today where Ross Atkins said that the Blue Jays do check their players' vision and to ha have it tested. Um, there's, I was just doing a little uh, Googling, and there are even some teams like the Nationals who are experimenting with kind of like more kind of like a vision training, kind of like sports science uh, R&D stuff. So I think it's pretty safe to say he had his vision checked in, in some form. Uh, but that said... If you have a poor season and you want to get a rumor out that there was some specific reason behind it, of of all the things to blame, I couldn't see the ball and I didn't do anything about it for 162 games because I didn't know I couldn't see the ball. Might be one of the some of the weakest sauce I have ever seen poured over anything. Well, the problem is it just goes right against his 
other um his other rumor he drummed up remember there like when he was before he kind of uh signed in 2016 there was the uh, the rumor going around about how he spent a million dollars a year on his body which spending a million dollars and not getting an eye test <laughs> i mean that's, that's that's a lot of kale uh so yeah i the do-over you know if if you're gonna let a rumor out you gotta have something i'm thinking more body specific uh you know maybe somewhere down below the ice something that could be a nagging injury something that you could have been playing through uh and certainly not something as easily debunked as did they test your eyes or not Uh, right so yeah I think if we want to be generous to Batista, maybe what maybe kind of like what we could distill is it's some type of rare eye condition or something that was hard to identify, um, not just like a loss in his vision. And maybe that's all getting lost in translation, um, you know, and and that's what what the problem was. Um, But uh, to to answer the question, too, I mean, Batista didn't want to struggle. I mean, he cost himself a lot of money but by struggling so much in oh yeah in 2016 so i think if he thought there was something he could do about whatever the problem was he would have done it if he if he knew what to do about it uh yeah someone followed up with that if this happens the 40 home runs will you hold me while i cry about it being with another (laughs) team that's that's at split letters and and i'm like it it, don't worry no one will need to hug you and cuddle you because (laughs) jose bautista is not hitting 40 home runs again Sorry. Unfortunately, probably not. Um, We do have a usual question from Lou Brown 34. We don't really have time this week because he wants top five J moments in the past five years. Uh, We might get that one next week. We'll put a double heart on it. How about that? Right. Well, I mean, oh, they're also, you know what? Here, I'll bet you I can do them in 15 seconds. (laughs) Go. Okay. uh, (laughs) David Price trade, clinching the division in 2015. Bat flip, Edwin's walk off, and um, oh, Donaldson scoring against the Rangers in uh, the 2016 DS. I don't know if that was 15 seconds, but gosh darn it, it was quick. Um, we didn't really savor any of them, but you can go back and look them up. <laughs> They're all. Oh great. my goodness, uh, we have we have had a little longer podcast than usual, so I'm going to wrap it up. I will give you. Did you have the opportunity to share with us a final thought? Do you have a final thought? Okay, because we did also miss a question from Dave Church, I'm going to have my final thought be kind of an answer to his question as as well as my final thought. Sorry, Dave. And it's a little bit of a concern with Joe Biagini because if anybody saw any of the coverage from Winterfest this weekend, he looks to have uh, slimmed down significantly. Um, and while Ross Atkins might be excited about it and... And Dave wants to know if that's going to make him feel be- make us feel better about him as a starter. I'm most concerned because we all know that comedians get less funny once they get skinny. <laughs> Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, not as funny once they lost weight. And so I'm worried Joe Biagini is not going to be as funny this year. I um, forgot Drew Carey. And, um, and then on the flip side, the problem, though, is if the comedian weighs more, he eventually dies that's true too. so yeah we don't want that to happen it's a it's a real fine balancing act yeah it, it's tough but um here's to a hopefully productive 
and maybe less funny than Joe B. Genie. All right. My final thought is going to be, I'm sorry, a shameless plug for our Patreon. If you uh, surf on over to www.patreon.com slash turfpod, uh, you can check out there some of the bonuses we have in store. If uh, you get yourself and your friends to uh, pony up for a little donation and help us out to make the podcast just that much better. I know it's pretty great right now, but it could be better uh, mm-hmm. with your help. Um, it, it, it could be as little as a dollar a month. Um, you know, we, in the season, we do do four shows. We appreciate it. it. Is 25 cents a show crazy? I don't know. Maybe it is crazy. Uh, again, www.patreon.com slash turfpod. You can learn all about how it works out there. So I would like to say that you have been Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka, and I was Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And my guests were uh, Josh Kuznick and Shai Davidi at Shai Davidi from Sportsnet. Thank you, everyone, for coming by this week. And uh, Josh, get well soon. This has been episode number 86 of Artificial Turf Wars. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks.